This is Simon Transparently Awakening the heart of humanity As we see beyond the lies And open our eyes to realize This is our time to rise Welcome everyone to another Simon Transparently We started off this morning with a few little hiccups But I'm here with my beautiful friend and great inspiration Almost would like to call him a mentor as well Because uh, I've been inspired by this being immensely over the past years and as many of you may know listening who I'm about to introduce because I've been getting great feedback from the previous conversations and I wanted to keep the thread of this dialogue going with this beautiful being so welcome again to the podcast Darpan. Thanks Simon it's an honor to be here as always bro. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful to be with you. We just had a moment where there might have been a potential that we couldn't record today and we've come through because um for all of you listening, this is a kind of continuation, but it's always dropping into this present moment with Darpan. And for me, <clears throat> I would say, you know, without any expectations on anyone listening, but you've been a, an anchor for me, Darpan. And I want those that are following my conversations and listening into this, that we're continuing because it might seem out there at the moment that everything's somehow gone back to normal. But I know if you've been listening to this thread of conversations with Darpan and I, you will know that we are still in the transition that Darpan has articulated so beautifully uh, many, many times. So Darpan, we have a power hour. I'm going to call this the power hour with Darpan. We have a little a power hour and we intend to have another conversation in the coming months. So for those of you tuning in, if you haven't listened to the previous conversations, feel free because they're timeless wisdom. And if not, you're meeting Darpan for the first time. So how are you, brother? Uh, let's uh, Let's drop in. Feeling good, bro. They're ready to rock because um, it was quite an interesting little technical uh, excursion. We were sidelined there for a little while. I just to explain to the listeners, I live deep in the forest in uh, in Australia near Byron Bay, and I'm still the recipient of a fairly ancient ADSL internet connection, and so I'm still battling with these things. One of the uh, liabilities or joys one might say of living in the forest uh you know but it does sometimes handicap these connections with my beautiful brother here but uh let's let's go for it yeah i'm i'm, I'm here yeah beautiful thank you so much and thank you for showing up and and actually this is a great example of some of the challenges that happen with communication and how um, as I was watching us and we were trying to go through that it was very real for me to go I started to feel some disappointment in my body about like oh you know the the joy I have of being with you I haven't spoken to you for almost a year you've been on a pretty epic uh, journey which I've been following a little bit on the socials so um, I'd love you just to maybe just kick off today give a little essence of that what I would call a kind of vision quest hero's journey the last few months and then we'll uh, we'll weave from there. Does that does that feel right for you? Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, uh, to begin, uh, I guess uh, last September I went to a symposium at Broughton Estate in uh, in uh, Yorkshire in the UK, which was being hosted by a very dear friend of mine, one of my dear brothers and friends and and uh, mentors also, uh, Anton Bilton, and uh, he's been hosting these symposiums where he invites many of the great minds that are shaping our world today, especially within the uh, psychological slash entheogenic slash physics area. So he had lots of people like neurobiologists, 
ethnobotanical people, uh, scientists, chemists, physicists, people of that nature who would come together. And you had about 100 people, you know, people like Graham Hancock, Dennis McKenna, uh, Louise Luna, um, Stephen uh, Pinchbeck, sorry, Daniel Pinchbeck, many, many, many people. And uh, I was very blessed to be amongst those people. And uh, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, really amazing, wonderful people. And uh, and so this is the third of a series that began in 2017. The first two were amazing, really incredible. And the whole idea behind this is that we get all these people together, but it's not a public, uh, it's not a public exposition. It's not for the public. It's more like a think tank where, you know, these peers, these people can come together and share ideas that are really at the cutting edge of our kind of like psycho-spiritual evolutionary push at this time and um, <clears throat> and can come together and share ideas that perhaps they couldn't share in front of a public audience because in front of a public audience you need to have all of your, your theories backed up. And so this was more room for speculative uh, material. And each person, many people who, who attended there did a, an hour-long presentation and there'd be Q&A uh, you know, uh, uh, afterwards. And it was a, a really joyous and wonderful connection because this is literally the second, third time we've come together and it's getting bigger all the time. And um, and this was called Sentient Other. It was like discussing the idea of what we see in the states of uh, altered states, such as with ayahuasca or DMT. Uh, are those entities, are those visions, are those uh, kind of events that we encounter in that realm a separate bona fide uh, kind of time-space continuum parallel to ours? Or is it the product of the brain, the brain's modalities creating these things with, inside of the brain? And, you know, we had half and half split. So it was very, very lively and interesting uh, debate uh, and presentations that followed. So I was there and uh, and um, I, I met a man there who Anton had also in, uh, invited called... Uh, Choisy Kuchen Rinpoche. He's a uh, Vajrayana uh, master, a great tulku. He's actually known as the 11th Choisy Kuchen Rinpoche because he's, he, is, he represents the 11th incarnation of that entity incarnating in various bodies. So one could say that his service on, in terms of his bodhisattva practice and service on the earth has been going for 801 years. In his last lifetime, for example, he built this amazing monastery in Kham in Tibet. And he has to, he has monasteries that he heads in South India, two in uh, one, two in Bhutan, one in Nepal. So he said to me, I was asking him because I'm very interested in Dzogchen, which is a very uh, a, a instant way of realization. It's a little bit like Advaita, if you know about Advaita, which is a self-inquiry, or like Zen, understanding Zen. It's like aha, it's that moment of aha. When you get it, you know, and and you realize it's a it's a recognition. It's not a gradual development whereby oh, if I spend years meditating and doing these practices, then one day I'll get it and I'll become enlightened. No, it's instant. It's a way of repositioning your consciousness so that you recognize something that you couldn't recognize before, and that recognition involves recognizing that you are already a perfect, whole, complete being, already. But there's just all these veils and, and you know, filters and layers that prevent us from recognizing that in, in you know, ordinary time. Mm -hmm. So this was a man who was a great master in this tradi tradition. And I was asking him about the Dzogchen. 
And in our conversations, he stopped me and he said, you and I have a karmic connection. I said, oh, that's interesting. Good. And he said, you must come to, you must come to Bhutan. So I said, yeah, I've always felt a deep connection with the with the Tibetan Buddhists. I know I've had past lives as a Tibetan Buddhist. I've seen it in the ayahuasca sessions. And also I've always I chose to use Tara, who I see as the enlightened embodiment of the divine feminine, uh, as my goddess within the work that I've done for 30 years with with the plant medicines. Right. And so and I've always used and always invoked the Tibetan uh kind of lineage even though in this lifetime I haven't had a direct connection to that. So he said, yeah, you and I have a karmic connection. You must come to, to Bhutan. So <laughs> I felt a very deep uh, resonance with this man. He was a beautiful man, really. He was younger than me, like he's 40, 39 at the time. And um, so he's a young body, very hip with phones and technology and all of that. But he's just had this amazing history. He was he even met in this lifetime at a, as a young man, uh, and, and his consort from the last lifetime, which, when she was like, she was 80, you know, like it, that would must be amazing where you meet your lover from a past life and you can have that connection in this life. So anyway, that's just to fill in the background of Choisy Kuchen Rinpoche. And anybody who wants to check him out, you should go to YouTube because this guy is an incredible singer. Like you can hear in his voice the depth of his lineage and the incredible authority that he carries. Uh, these are uh, mantras that he sings on YouTube, and in particular the mantra to what they call Guru Rinpoche, or otherwise known as Guru Padmasambhava, who was really the root guru of Vajrayana Buddhism. He was the one who brought Buddhism from India to Tibet in the 8th century. And you've got to remember that Tibet was at that time a very rich in the cultural uh, traditions of the Bonpo shamanism, which is a very, very powerful and very deep shamanism, and also heavily influenced by Shaivism, Shaivism as in the tantric lineage, the original tantric lineage. And so Vajrayana, as he brought that into Tibet, Padmasambhava, he took what the great what Buddha Shakyamuni had developed in India and just added, he included the Bonpo shamanism into the uh, into the uh, Buddhist tradition in Tibet, and so like you know, if you go go to a Christians when they go to a a new colony, they always say, "Oh, your traditions, your shamanic gods, they're the devil. Don't have them. This is the real savior, Jesus." You know, not so Padmasambhava. He said, "Oh, you're worshiping all these fire breathing demons and blood drinking entities. Good. We'll bring them into the Dharma and make them protectors of the Dharma." And that's why you see in those Tibetan tankas those fire-breathing entities like Mahakala or Yamantaka, who are actually Buddhas of compassion and protect, have been in uh, Padmasambhava subdued them to make them protectors of the Dharma. That's what sets Tibetan Buddhism apart from, say, classical uh, Theravada Buddhism, which originated, which is the Indian version. Um, so having given that background, I, I was invited by this man to to Bhutan, which is really, to speak a moment about Bhutan, it's like one of those pure lands, a magical land that is really without comparison on this on this earth. Uh, it's They measure their GDP there, not in terms of money, but in terms of happiness. They have a happiness quotient. Nice. And, you know, and the land is completely unadulterated. There is no... There's no billboard. There's no advertising. There's no uh, none of the usual Western affectations and accoutrements of of commercialism. None wow. of it. 
It's just a pure, beautiful land. And the people are genuinely happy and genuinely, uh, you know, seem very fulfilled uh, compared to most other countries. So um, I first went to Nepal on this uh, tour, on my way to Bhutan, and I went to the caves of Yangalo, which is where Padmasambhava uh, achieved Mahamudra, which is uh, enlightenment, where he became, you know, he resolved the polarity gap. But it, it's interesting that this cave is also very sacred to Shiva. And so both the Hindus and the Buddhists go there to worship because Shiva was using that cave, reportedly, as, as well as Padmasambhava. And uh, and so that was an amazing experience to go there and to really feel that and to start to immerse myself within the Buddhist uh, traditions. I was studying a lot at the time, reading, immersing myself. I already knew quite a bit about it because I've been studying Buddhist philosophy for a number of years, although I wouldn't have officially called myself a Buddhist and still don't. But I'm very, very uh, influenced by, by Buddhist thought, just mm -hmm. as I am by Taoist thought is the Chinese tradition, and they're very similar in many ways. But anyway, then after that, I decided to go to Bhutan and, and met Choisy. And the very first day, I went to the uh, monastery called the Tiger's Nest, which is set halfway up of this impossible cliff on these massive mountain ranges, which was the place where Padmasambhava practiced with his consort Yeshe Chogyal, you know, 700 years ago, 800 years ago. And it's just an amazing unbelievably beautiful place and so that took a whole day's trek just to get there it was quite arduous and uh and, but an amazing initiation into this magical pure land of bhutan mm -hmm. and so i spent the next couple of weeks exploring all through the uh, all all parts of bhutan and particularly in particular going to a, a monastery uh, uh established by a man called long chenpa in the 12th century and he was a great mystic a great a master of dzogchen and I'd read a lot of his books prior to meeting Choisy Kuchen Rinpoche as well. And so for me, it was like a homecoming in a certain sense, in that it was putting together a lot of these feelings and yearnings and, and kind of like resonances and connections that I've been feeling, particularly to Padmasambhava, who I've always been an, uh, incredibly fascinated by his life and his work. And so that really was a pilgrimage for me. It yeah. really represented spiritual uh passage into my own heart and it came at an interesting time because i've been working with the plants and with the shamanic traditions for 30 years now or longer but at least you know professionally for 30 years and uh and somehow or other i felt that the coming the coming to bhutan and meeting choice kuchen was a coming home it was almost like saying you're to come back home to us now this is where you started and you and what all the work that you've done has been imbued by by your lifetimes with us, and now it's time to just come home. And I really felt that as a finite thing, and it was a very wow uh, fulfill. It was, I, I felt a deep fulfillment, mm -hmm. and especially I felt a deep resonance and a deep friendship with with this wonderful man, uh, Choisy Kuchen Rinpoche, who has become a, a dear mentor and a dear friend. And uh, he also did various empowerments and uh, and initiations for me while I was there, particularly into the mysteries of of Padmasambhava. And uh, and so it was a very fruitful and very rich time for me. So and, and I'm really happy I went by myself. I left my partner at home. This was very much a personal journey for me. Yeah. And, uh, and so Nepal, Bhutan, then I went to India for a week. I had to buy some instruments because I was on my way to Egypt, where then my work started. In Egypt, 
I'd been commissioned to lead, you know, a group of 20 people uh, on a journey starting at Aswan, going up the Nile River to, uh, and stopping off at all the temples along the way and then culminating in the Great Pyramid. And so we had this wonderful boat. It was fantastic to ourselves. And just, if you can just imagine yourself, just, have you been to Egypt? No, no. Sailing up the Nile with this yeah. incredible biblical topography all around you. <laughs> and it's like these temples. I mean, I had been to Egypt before. And so I knew what to expect. But honestly, every time you go there, it never prepares you. You're still just completely flabbergasted by the, by the size and the, the uh, immensity of the structures of these temples and the incredible precision and the and the thought and the vision in the creation of such incredible structures. And so with these group of friends who happened to be very dear friends of mine, we were uh, traveling up the Nile and I was basically there to train them also. We were doing, it was called the harmonic initiation. Mm -hmm. And so I was teaching them every day. We were doing uh, sound healings, excuse me, voice activations, song circles, meditations and so on and so forth for you know a couple of hours of every day and the rest of the time was either sightseeing into temples or just enjoying uh the magnificent ambiance of being on the nile on this wonderful boat right so anyway to cut a long story short that went through, we went through all the temples and uh and ended up the the crowning jewel really was in the uh in the great pyramid where we managed to pay bakshish to one of the one of the caretakers of the pyramid who allowed us to go in there privately between the hours of 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. with nobody else in the entire pyramid. We had it to ourselves. And so um, it was absolutely amazing. The pyramid is quite an interesting thing. I mean, when you enter into it, it's quite hot because there's not a lot of air traveling inside. And first of all, we went down to the subterranean chamber, which if you know the king's chamber, when it's in the pyramid like this, three quarters of the way up is this special area called the king's chamber, which is the initiation chamber and the sound chamber. Well, if you can imagine another pyramid going underground, like a star tetrahedron, at the same level, two thirds of the way down, is the sub exists the subterranean chamber, which, you know, according to people like um, Melchizedek, uh, he um, he he claims that it's a fourth dimensional space that you can see visions in there on the Natch, and when you realise you've got this massive structure of the pyramid right above you, and you're right below it under the earth, it's really quite an, a, an incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. And we held uh, an, a vocal initiations in there, and that was really amazing. It's a very tight, very narrow, very steep incline, forty five degrees uh, tunnel that you have to go through. You have to literally uh, bend up double. I do anyway, to get to get down there. It's quite arduous, but quite extraordinary. And then we went up to the Queen's Chamber and eventually to the King's Chamber where we spent an hour and a half. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. Oh, my God. First of all, they wouldn't didn't want us to bring instruments in there, but I brought in my little, my little chimes. And, of course, I can't take my voice away. And because they just don't want people to be doing, you know, rituals yeah. and things like yeah. that in there. But once we got there, I said to our guy, I said, listen, do you mind if we just switch the lights off? And he went, no, that's fine. So we switched the lights off. And then I began with the harmonic throat singing and doing full invocations and really to, to spend about 20 minutes just doing full invocations to inside that place. And then everybody started coming in with their voices. And it was just this moving melange, this carpet of sound that was just weaving in and out and you've got to remember that it's, it's the construction of this place is such that it has 
granite, like all that's entirely created in granite. And each block is like 70 tons. Mm -hmm. So you've got this piezoelectric quality to the sound and to the actual electromagnetics within the groom. And um, by the time we finished it, the whole, I felt like a toroidal donut with the energies coming straight up the sushumna, showering out over the top and coming back down through the feet and through the hara into the perineum and up the, up the channel again. Even when we left the pyramid and I was lying in bed later on in the night, I was just just streaming energy. It was so powerful mm -hmm. and, and really something I'll never, ever forget. And nor will any, any of the others who were there. And uh, and so that was an amazing journey in itself. Yeah. And I was very blessed to, you know, uh, have that opportunity to work with people in such a way at the same time as, you know, within the temples and these ancient sacred sites that have, you know, been uh, serving humanity for thousands of years. Mm. So that was Egypt. And then I went from there down to South Africa and held a retreat at a place called Planet Zankara. It's an hour and a half north of Cape Town. Stunning. Also, I wasn't prepared for Africa. Goodness, Africa is something. It has a pulse, brother. Oh. It's just got this pulse, this African pulse. Just boom, boom. You just feel you're in Africa. Mm. And, you know, all that, all those things that you, that like lions and giraffes and zebra. And I, I saw all those creatures, um, in not just in South Africa, but uh, after South Africa, after doing a retreat there, I went to Namibia. Yeah, you, honestly, said you, you said you South loved Africa, it there. South Africa was stunning. But Namibia is a jewel, unbelievable jewel, pristine in its essence. We were in a remote part of the Namib Desert. And, uh, and you know, like there were the Bushmen, the Kalahari Bushmen are there, but also these beautiful big black Bantu people. And, uh, and we were staying at a place called Wolverdans Echo Retreat Center, which was like a five-star plus echo retreat in the middle of nowhere, but it was completely self-sustainable. They, you know, make their own food, their own gardens, their own animal husbandry, their water, their electricity, their com amazing community of about 100 people, all Indigenous people, but it was inspired by this German man. I've forgotten his name for the moment, but um, absolutely extraordinary because, you know, Namibia is something else. This, the quality of the silence the the clarity of the light, the the the, the just the purity of the land, uh, you know, you just see oryx and zebra and ostrich just wandering by, just in, in the nature. Not in, we weren't in a reserve, mm. and it was and the mountains are such that when you take photographs of them, you're sure that you're turning up all the saturation points and you know increasing the color, but you, it's exactly how it is. Mm. So I was. Really deeply impressed by by Namibia, and I'd, I'm really looking forward to going back. But that that was the culmination of my. Yeah. That was five, like a three, but that was like three three month pilgrimage. You could yeah, say. yeah, that was like three months. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and then that was also leading in. I mean, there's so much you could share there. What I mean, I think what I want to highlight is that when I listen to you, it's so interesting because you have such a connection to sound. Right, that's this is really one of the key one of the key elements. Mm -hmm of how you right. transmit. And it's interesting when I listen to you describe it because you describe it from such a such a point of sound, no? And a point of resonance in the way that you experience something, no? Even the way that you're seeing it, which which I guess on a, a question that was popping up is like, what, what, what is, 
Now, that pilgrimage in and of itself, that's your experience. That's you went on that journey. Amazing. A, a, a pinnacle point of your 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 own uh, journey, you know, as a messenger, if you will. It, it came back to also a point of your birthday, a huge celebration coming back home, a, a big uh, culmination of, you could say, uh, yeah, it sounds like you went home, you came home though into the kind of Buddhas, then you went on this whole journey and then you came home again to like where, you, where, where you're where you living and there was a, a huge celebration. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, what what is the message to those out there that are listening of course, they can drink from your experience. They can they can get a taste of possibly what that is, but it would be unique for everyone. And the way that you, even being in the pyramid and the way that you feel a pyramid is going to be very different to somebody else, right? Because it, the, you know you are DARPA and you've been on your journey and so on and so forth. So I'm curious as well, what, you know, when they say you go on a pilgrimage or a vision quest or you leave the Shire for a while and then you go, you know, because you really, that was like a three month hero's journey within a journey, right? So I'm curious, like, what the what's the what's the gem that you bring back as a, as a as a as a message for those listening to you and 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 even listening today on our on our conversation? If, if, if right. something pops up, you know. Yeah, well, well, you know, to me, with everything that's going on on the planet, you know, and and there I was going to many different countries, different cultures, seeing how they were all responding to the various you know, influences and pressures that the whole globe has been uh, kind of under or subjected to for the last several years, uh, how simplicity can bring you back to that which is ever-present, always immanent, always there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, it, mostly it's drowned out by the din, you know, by the din of our social media, by by the ideas and the kind of debates we have about various you know, uh, kind of arisings within the human collective and the technology that's arising all the time to support that. And all of these things are wonderful and magical and good in terms of serving our creativity, our connectivity of, you know, bringing us together as a one world, as a collective, an awareness of ourselves as one human family, because that's the upside of all of this technology. The downside, of course, is the separation of that. But the technology itself is not to blame. It, it's it's it it has an, a higher octave and a lower octave like everything else in duality and so i see the higher octave and i totally embrace the technology but it was good to be reminded that beyond the technology beyond the thoughts and and feelings and emotions and uh, philosophies that are just uh, overwhelmingly present on the planet today and the kind of like yeah, and, and it's a sort of like, you know, the, the diversity of so much often conflicting points of view. Right. Um, when you bring things back to simplicity, how heartwarming and a fully human, affirming of humanity it is. And, you know, often we can feel in this world of, of ever diversify, diversification and acceleration and, and, you know, unfolding at such a rapid rate, everything's happening so quickly that we can often feel overwhelmed by this. And it seems, where's the answer? Where's the solid ground? What? How can I navigate this in, in, in a way without the anxiety and without the fear and without the separation, alienation that many of us feel in this process? And it was just beautiful to feel, to find that there is a country existing on this planet where people are still as wholeheartedly uh, in resonance with those deep human values. Yeah. Of just care, yeah. love, you know, um, generosity, 
happiness, yeah. sharing, you know. I mean, these sound very simplistic. And we go, yeah, 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 we, we I do all that. But do we really? Yeah. You know, and how deeply do we embody that? Because when I was in Bhutan, I really, look, I could have left my rucksack in the main street and by mistake and gone back an hour later and it would have still been there mm. or it would have been handed in to somebody fully intact. It's that level of, of respect and love that I was meeting in Bhutan. And, of course, that's available to each and every one of us. Uh, it's interesting also to note that in Bhutan, it's not completely untouched. They introduced television maybe about 12 years ago. Only oh, just 12 years, then, only 12 years ago, but since then the crime rate has gone up. Noticeably. Ah, ah, there you go. It's it's you know, it's the loss of innocence, but that innocence can be reclaimed at any moment by mm -hmm. any one of us at any time. But it's we forget that because we're so locked into the screen, we're so locked into the narrative, when we're so locked into the unfolding conceptual paradigm. Uh, that it's hard to see the wood for the trees, and hence, you know, it within it often uh, one's own fulfilment and and uh, one's own feeling of well-being is is the casualty. You know, many people are feeling that are feeling the loss of of the connection to divine spirit, for example. Right. And what I felt in Bhutan was full connection to spirit. Mm -hmm. And when there is a healthy connection to spirit, it naturally flows that. It, it trickles down into all aspects of society, all parts of living. The king and the queen are practicing Buddhists. It's a Buddhist kingdom. And, you know, uh, if you ask the shamans in, in Peru, and as I've done many times, what is the illness in the West? Why is there so much mental illness in the West? Why is there so much separation? Why is there so much alienation and unhappiness and, you know, abuse and misery? And they would always respond with, People have lost touch with spirit. People have lost touch with their deep self. People have lost touch with the oversoul of this planet of of this of Gaia, and I I I absolutely see that as the case. Yeah. And you know, it's a sad state of affairs that when we lose a, a, a touch with spirit, that we then look to the mind for all of the answers. We then look to the mind to kind of navigate or work out or fix or some way intervene to make something right again when, in fact, it just complicates matters. Mm. We are an endgame politically, uh, psychologically, you know, economically, religiously, monetarily, endgame. There's no exit. I think it was Einstein that said you cannot solve a problem an endemic problem or issue with the same mindset that created it. Mm -hmm. And so what is being called for in the West is a reclaiming of the original vision that we always had as, as our birthright, as every human being, that we all knew when we lived in indigenous tribes, you know, in the past, in our ancestral times. And I think that that's been lost. And since that's been lost, it, you know, it, all kinds of mental afflictions, emotional afflictions, physical afflictions are the result, you know, with, you know, the pharmaceutical companies dealing everything, dealing with everything in their way and the doctors and white coats and, and authority figures uh, trying to do the best they can in the West and the allopathic traditions, but none of them are addressing consciousness or spirit. And this is the elephant in the room that no one is willing to address. Mm. Until recently, I wrote a great book. I read a great book by Paul Levy called um, The Quantum Field. 
It's subtitled The Radical Tra uh, Transform, The Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality, where he lays out via the uh, model of quantum mechanics how quantum physics is showing us that spirit is a reality, that everything that happens is a result of what they call superpositioning and and is not separate from the observer. The observer is, it's what quantum physics is saying is that we as a perceiving entity are experiencing ourselves as the universe and that all things are possible. And that that connection, say, say, that, again, no say, that, again, say that again, say that again, we as the, but we as a sentient entity or a sentient point of awareness yeah. perceive ourselves as we, as we explore the universe from a quantum mechanics point of view, as we as a point of sentience, we perceive ourselves as the universe, mm. as it. It is I. I am it. It is I. There is no separation. In fact, all materialistic science, which you know has always been built upon the foundations of empiricism and objectivity, and you know being able to observe that's an experiment that you can repeat it, and so on and so forth. Yes, I mean Einstein, uh, Newton was right within a certain paradigm within the 3d space-time reality we live in there is gravity there is cause makes effect and all of that but beyond that these laws don't operate at all and even through that there are other laws operating and this is what you know people like Niels Bohr and uh, Schrodinger and you know all the great quantum uh, theorists and physicists are now putting on the table for us and it comes at the same time that we're exploring dmt psychedelics plant medicines you know which are quantum in nature and in fact buddhism to bring it back there uh, now padma sambhava is being saying as he's the first quantum physicist because he was talking about superpositioning by that i mean that if you focus upon something you can make it real you know like scientists that has a pet theory for example or a hypothesis goes forward and finds the evidence to support it until it can be proven well the point of view from materialistic science is the world out there is finite and that scientist has just demonstrated by using the laws the mechanical laws of of our universe to demonstrate a certain law well padma sambhava and the quantum physicists would say no the very fact that he was expecting to see those things and expecting to prove that hypothesis is the very reason why the evidence came there in the first place, mm. and that it's there. In other words, we are the cause of everything. We are the we are the ones that extrapolate our reality into an ob seemingly objective world of three D space time, and uh, and that we are the source of it. And then, right. of course, it would follow that we therefore create our reality moment by moment. You know, yeah, you know, so I, I, I want I want I want to I want to jump in there just to like break that break that down a little bit, if if you will, right? If we if we yeah, can, sure. I tell you, I tell you why. Yeah. I love what you're just saying here, and and you know some beings listening, and I see a lot this dialogue like we keep looking at in the world in the West, right? I'm I'm in the West, right? So you look at in the West, and we see all this stuff crumbling. You're calling it like the end game, but we're seeing all this, you know, this distortion um reality you know like recently i was watching something about in poland like this whole lgbt community that they, they, they won't allow it into that space and in uh, basically there's many beings not feeling that they're not uh, accepted and not human there then we've got the you know certain different wars popping up i'm not just going to name them but there's many popping up around the world and we look out and we see the suffering and i know um, Ram Das and many others, you know, look at the look at this. Um, Bruce Lipton talks about this, where you know, ultimately, that outer reality is is 
is an expression of what's going on inside of us, right? So it's like, yeah, can you bring a deeper sense of acceptance and see the perfection of it, but at the same time, look at where the root of that outer experience is coming from, which is coming from inside of each of us because we are the projectors of the reality, right? There's that. Then what you're bringing, what I'm loving is this, because, for example, I saw the other day somebody talking about, you know, these different theories, whether it be uh, gravity, for example. So, oh, what if there's gravity? Why why does smoke go up? And like, what you know, what, what does gravity mean? And it's like all these different. Uh, there was something I watched the other day, Darpan, you may have seen it on Instagram, where there's this guy with the light and the vibrational field of sound, which I know you're so into. They've got these three pieces of um um, how you say material of holographic uh, thing, they put them o- on top of each other with the right light and frequency and it formed a human baby. It's, it formed the shape of a baby, right? I'm going to send it to you after. It's kind of mind-blowing because it's like, it's this idea of bringing in again the quantum and the holographic. And then of course, human beings, I don't even know if I don't want to call us this, constantly exploring the mystery, the unknown, to try to work itself out. And then when I, when I speak to you, I like to like see that huge picture that you offer me and then bring it back to this, what I would say, slightly distorted idea of what humans think they are and how we can bring that new information in, that new awareness in to dissolve the density of what it means to be labeled as a human if i'm making sense right because that distortion for me creates the separation and then creates all the suffering the violence and the wars because we think that we're not these phenomenal interconnected beings basically so i don't know if that makes sense but i've just seen all these little fragmented pieces that that are so distorted but then when i'm listening to you and and we're kind of having this new information that so many people don't even have access to darpan right that's the whole point It's like this is kind of a privileged, evolved way of considering, you know, you're in think tanks and heart tanks with, you know, some of the greatest Mm. uh, Mm. thinkers on the planet. Right. And and Mm. so, yeah, that's all I wanted to bring in. So I just wanted to like ground it, land it and then see how that works in a a day to day human who's caught in the, the, let's say, the matrix of going to work and coming home and not even knowing how to feel. Yeah. Well, I think that your, your, your last, thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's very juicy. In fact, your last sentence really in, inspires a kind of a, a solution to exactly how to navigate through these uh, unprecedented uh, times of turmoil and, and really where we find ourselves to take us back into that old uh, kind of uh, metaphor that we often use as being in, in an initiation rite, like collectively, that human race is, is undergoing a human uh, a collective initiation into a higher state of consciousness, into a radical shift in consciousness. Well, if we were to take that metaphor, we're in the Hall of Mirrors right now, and all we're seeing is lots of distorted reflections, just as you so uh, you know beautifully described. Uh, but... Um, and the and it can often be very overwhelming to think, how do yes. I move through this? How yes. do I go? I can't see the wood for the trees. Yes. And you know what? Any any attempt to try and work it out with the mind, any attempt to try and suss it out with conceptually is kind of doomed to failure or creating a whole lot more complexity on top of what you're already experiencing in this moment. And so many are going down that path. And, you know, many of the great brains and intellects are doing that. And, you know, to a certain degree, you can create an artifice or an edifice of, I know what's going on with all that information, but do they really know what's going on? Or are they just surrounded themselves with an artifice, as I say, of knowledge? 
and right. of uh, speculation. So you know what I found to be the to be the answer for me and for what, how I to, uh, share with my friends to move through this is the art of not knowing, bro. We've got to develop and cultivate the art of not knowing. I call this the wisdom of insecurity. This is what we've got to cultivate in ourselves, the art of being okay in this moment now and that allowing the next moment to take care of itself when it comes, not projecting forwards or looking backwards into how we did it in the past and looking for solutions or, or strategies or ways to deal with this incredible complexity and this incredibly rapid un un unfolding that's happening right now. Really, it's just like the old Hopis were saying. You know, they said there's a very river running at this time and it's running very, very fast. Now, all you need to do is keep your head above the water. Don't try and struggle. Don't fight to go towards the bank. Don't swim against the current, obviously, but many are doing that. And don't try and panic or do anything with anything. Let go. Let go and just know, trust that the river will lead you home. The river is taking us to the ocean, to the great mother the great, you know, uh, one, the, the, the unified field. And um, so my my feeling with this is just having the courage and finding the, the presence within oneself to step forward, to wake up every morning and to just, you know, take time to yourself. Take some, you know, if you call it meditation or just quiet time or walking in nature, but something, doesn't matter what it is where you're reconnecting with simplicity, with nature. And, you know, you're not immediately going to the phone. I mean, that's the first impulse. Many of us, I do it too. You pick up the phone, see what the messages are. But if you can actually go, yeah, I'm going to do that. But first, my number one priority is going to be, as of today, um, connect. Yeah. Connect with nature. Yes. Just take time out. Don't even call it meditation. Just sit quietly. Listen yeah. to the birds. Enter this present moment. Just be here now. And it's the most healing, the most wonderful thing we can do as we move through these accelerated times. And it is an accelerated time. And we are in the in the hall of distortions, you know, just all kinds of mirror reflections. You know, uh, it's 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 very confusing. Yeah. And wait there, because you just said something lovely, right? That this wisdom of insecurity, the art of not knowing. And now I know we're on this power hour, so I've got to just get, I've got to bring you in. I've got to bring you in for this little piece because I love that you're bringing it. So when you said earlier, when you said connecting to spirit, because I just want that lovely thread of like, you know, your whole pilgrimage and this deeper sense of connecting to spirit and how Bhutan and some of these other places, they have that sense of connecting to spirit. Is that what you would describe as also for somebody listening who went like just call it meditation or not but taking that space in the morning before we're on the mobile phone it, it, you know it, would that be what you describe as also connecting yes, spirit? Yes, I, I would but it's more than that it's more because it's about realizing that we've always been standing at the precipice it looks like we're standing at the precipice for the first time humanity is a make or break is we going to make it through to the other side are we going to dis dissipate and fall down and destroy the planet and destroy ourselves in the process and this is, we feel like we're standing at the abyss with all the wars you mentioned, with all the AI that's that's coming on the scene too, which will put everybody out of a job. And, uh, and I mind you, I'm Don't not against that. AI. I'm not against AI. I, you know, that's another conversation. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that at some point. But, um, but yeah, all these things that appear to be uh, like, you know, cataclysmic to our world, our old world is changing. We're never going back to it. We're in the transition. We are in the birth canal 
And, you know, peristalsis has begun. We are inexorably being pushed forward. There's no going back. Yeah. So first of all, we have to acknowledge that. Yes. We're, on, we're on this journey together. Yes. And it's an individual journey and it's a collective journey. And as long as you can accept and let go, this is what the Hopis were saying about these times that when they were talking about their prophecy was keep your head above the water, go with the flow. Don't try and resist in any way, shape or form. Just go and just be simple. Keep things simple. Stay connected to community. You know, like nurture your family, your friends, love each other, show that you care and really start to form those bonds of which you, I know you're doing in your world. I'm doing in my world. Many people are doing. And so it's actually a phenomenon that is very powerful at the moment, but you won't hear about it or read about it in newspapers or on the nightly news. But right. it's happening. It's happening. Absolutely happening because people are seeing people are waking up. They're realizing that the, that the confusion, which is a result of this massive acceleration in our in our process uh, is is not a necessity. It's a, it's an option if you decide that you want to be confused. If you allow yourself to get into the state of anxiety, so first and foremost, we need to become sovereign in the sense in the sense of being masters of our own ship, of managing our own emotions. Thoughts, feelings, and actions. That means taking responsibility for everything we are. That means, you know, taking responsibility for our thoughts, what the emotions come. Instead of blaming the other, you know, our partner or, or a situation or an event for the way we feel, we've got to start to realize that it's my feeling. It's happening in my body. I'm the one who's experiencing this, regardless of who I think is the cause or regardless of who I want to blame, I'm the one experiencing it. So therefore, I'm the one who has the dominion to be able to shift that or not. Mm. And so we need to take that dominion. That That's what I call taking sovereignty. It means taking control of the ship. Stop taking your instructions from outside authority figures. Stop taking your instructions from the, the society's uh, rule books or religion's rule books. Disconnect from those people and say, I will decide. This is what I call the process of awakening. It's the process of growing up, actually, to put it in really plain terms. It's simply getting out of our nappies. You know, stop pissing in your own backyard. Stop, you know, be responsible. And, you know, people always say they want to be free, but they forget that there's a there's a, a, a price with freedom, and that is responsibility. You know, freedom and responsibility are two wings of the same bird. One without the other, you can't fly. And mm -hmm. so people are often want the freedom, but they're not willing to take the responsibility. And the responsibility is just realizing that this moment is actually all there is. That's all there ever was. That's all there ever will be. Even when we talk about the future or the past, we do it from the context of the now. We're talking about the past from the now. So it's happening in the now. So, And the now has always been right on the precipice. It's always been at the abyss. So, yes, it seems like we're being thrown there. As I said, peristalsis has begun. We're being inexorably forced along the birth canal. But we can just let go and enjoy that process. If not enjoy, at least accept that process. But all we can resist and go in kicking and screaming and with all the confusion and anxiety and alienation that is concomitant with that process. So all I'm saying is the wisdom of insecurity is like a willingness to let go of your thoughts, your ideas, your knowledge, what you think is going on, on a, on a, on a macro level. Of course, we need that knowledge and conceptual framework and the usual um, you know, race hypnosis in order to relate to each other and do projects and things. But I'm talking about deep spirit. 
I'm talking about how our relationship with ourself. Yeah. And that's how we gain sovereignty is by establishing that I am finite. My brain is finite. It doesn't understand the concept of infinity. It's not hardwired to. You know, we're born and we die and time appears to pass in between. But in fact, there's no time. It's a thought, another concept. Right. You know, we've agreed upon a watch and a clock, and that's the only thing that does time. And nature, show me time. Where does time exist? Yeah. It just doesn't. There yeah, are we, cycles. Make, we, make, we, we didn't make it up in, even in trees, cut a tree in half and say that must be the lifespan of a tree, right? We, 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 no, we, exactly. we decide all of that. We, we project that onto the world. Yeah. We project them onto the world. And we even call them time rings and a tree when a tree yeah. is just a tree. Treeing. <laughs> it's not even a tree. It's a verb. It's treeing. A river is not a river. It's rivering. <laughs> and we're not human. We are being human. You know, and that's what we've got to remember. We're verbs. We're not nouns. And so the wisdom of insecurity to me um, involves embracing deeply that uh, mystery that we are, the mystery that the existence is, and embracing it without needing to know why it is as it is. In other words, we don't need to work it out and pull it apart and work it out like Newton tried to do. We can simply bow down to the mystery and allow my finite mind, my temporal body, which will be here for a short time, I always call it live on planet Earth for a limited time only. Yes, I'm here <laughs> limited time come and check it out um, but anyway, <laughs> so we realize that we're temporal we are here just uh, as a in a you know in a blink of an eye really and so our this is just a vehicle if we can arrange and align our vehicle to resonate with what i call spirit you can call it what you like god the goddess the great unknown the incomprehensible unknown the unified field whatever you want to call it i just call it spirit uh, to allow spirit to take control, to allow spirit to determine what will happen. That means I trust spirit. And then I ask spirit and say, spirit, I'm this person, this personality living here in 3D space-time on planet Earth. Tell me what my, give me my instructions. You know, I will fully, I'm here to carry them out. And I'll carry them out to the best of my ability because I've got lots of talents. I've got information. I've got, I've got a, a uh, you know, the joy and the enthusiasm and the willingness to do whatever, you know, you decide. Because I can't decide the big picture because my mind is not hardwired to, to comprehend it. So please download me and let me be your hands, your feet, your mind on this earth. And then suddenly you have a great cosmic coordinator. And if you truly do that from your heart, you really do that, then suddenly you enter the flow of synchronicity and you know when you're on track because the right things happen at the right time the right you meet the right people the right things are presented to you in order to fulfill whatever the instructions you've been given so some and, would say, so you wouldn't say that like some would say that you're giving the power over to something else that you you don't even know about or whatever but you're saying you're con it, it, you're connecting to a greater power would you would, no yeah. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I am that power. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. But you're, yeah, you're beyond beyond like spirit. Like yeah, I, my, when I talk about little I, I'm talking about Darpan. Yeah. But when I'm talking about spirit, 
and I'm talking about the unified field, I am a point of sentience within that field, within God, if you like, but I am it. It is I. There is no separation. Yes. It is immanent in me and in all things. Yes. In, stra- in the same way that ancient animist, uh, you know, shamanic cultures believed it to be. Exactly. Uh, but we're going to see, do it and in a much more high-tech way. But the principle will be the same. And I call that the wisdom of insecurity, letting go of the known, letting go of everything you think you know about yourself, about others, and be fresh, be innocent to the moment, to be spontaneous, to be able to really give of yourself fully, wholeheartedly, and totally and completely without holding back because of your thoughts about what's possible or what's not possible. And I think if you have the trust to do that, that is the wisdom of insecurity because you don't know if you're gonna what's going to happen. And you yeah. don't know. You can't pre-plan. You can't have a strategy. You just operate and you just go from the moment. And, and to there's, me, a, there's a spontaneity and a playfulness there, right? Playfulness. There, there's a, no, but there's a spontaneity and a playfulness. And I just wrote this here. Yeah. Um, you, you, remind, you reminded me of what Charles Eisenstein said. Um, tell me if, if if this is aligned. But he said, um, you know, when you give up to that greater uh, spirit, if you will, that we're, we're using today, which I resonate with that word as well. It's like he says, um, put me to good use. You know, yes, that was his yes. saying, and you're saying the same thing. It's like, like here, exactly I am, that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling myself out good of good. these distortions. I'm here. I'm in the, and 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 I'm here as a conduit of of uh, of service, if you will. You know. Well, that's it. Service is the ultimate. You know, like nirvana. Really, uh, it's like. You know, all that distortions and confusion you just mentioned are a result of trying to work it out with the mind. Right. A result of trying to and figure it out. it's tiring, Garpan. It's tiring. Oh, my God. It's like such a burden that you carry in. Things become serious and struggle and everything becomes a struggle. And you find yourself really deteriorating and you find yourself doing that. Immediately notice I'm I'm in the mind. I'm, I'm not there. And realign and go, not me, but but divine will not my will but divine will be done and i'm not separate from divine so divine is my will and so like you know it's 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 a it's a repositioning of consciousness that's what it is so brother, the mind brother, becomes brother. a servant of spirit yeah brother i want you to st- i want you to stay there with me because i've had messages recently of people that are constantly saying they're in burnout and constantly like self-harming and and really yeah. got falling into the depression sorry to jump cut, cutting on you there because i know we have a couple but can you speak to that because that is what i feel that that's what i feel they're falling into right the deep dents of the um what do we call it before but i call it the pain body or the the shadow the density but could you speak to that about people that are like because they're so many people when they're not aligned to that divine spark they're they're so confused they say to me but what's my purpose why am i here nothing feels right you know can can you juice that up for a bit (laughs) absolutely because that's a you're right on the money there absolutely on the on the mark because i also know people who are self-harming who are very very confused who are coming to me for help and for me it's just a process of repositioning their consciousness you know getting them to come back into resonance with a larger perspective because what happens when you go down that rabbit hole of your own mind and you try and work things out and try and use your own fear base and your own pain base as a way to navigate through the mind is it just gets narrower and narrower and narrower and things come in and in and in and then after a while you not only can you not see the wood for the trees but you feel like you're entrenched in a a closed 
uh, narrow alleyway and there's no exit. That's what it feels like. And that's yeah. where the self-harming and the uh, suicides and, and things like this, suicidal tendencies come because you think there's no exit. And it does feel very real. I feel for those people who are there. I can totally have compassion because I've, you know, I've I've been down those roads in on journeys of mine, and I understand what that what that means. Yeah. Uh, but the good news is that it's just a mental construct. It, there is an exit. There always has been. There always will be. It's just that in that consciousness, it appears that there's none. Look, it's the same road that the French existentialists went down. You know, many of them following their logic of their mind, said, well, who am I, this insignificant speck, you know, measured against the vast indifference of the universe? Why even bother to get out of bed? What difference do I make? Right. And so many of them took a gun and went, that was their creative act, their response to that seemingly wow. uh, you know, uh, impossible solution, um, uh, problem. Yeah, but really, me. the existentialists were just knocking at the door. If they just opened it, of meditation, of realizing spirit, that I am not separate, that I am one with the one and all. The one and all I am, and I am it, and it is I. And I don't mean that as a cute kind of intellectual concept. I mean that one needs to have a direct experience of that. And the best way to get direct experiences of that are acts of innocence. You know, when you're painting a picture and you suddenly light and time disappears, or you're walking in nature and the birds and everything are just perfect, and again, time disappears. You notice with all these things, when you reconnect with nature, time disappears. I mean, it might get darker and it might, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The passage of time, feeling, you enter into the eternal now. That's all it's ever been. It's been right. one long, vast, our historical process uh, a vast extrapolation of the eternal now. I see like a rose, like just unfolding, unfolding every second as a new rose, as a new, constantly folding and unfolding. And so like it's always now. And in our thoughts, because we die and we are born, time appears to pass and it's yesterday's yesterday and tomorrow's tomorrow, we operate in that level and get taken by that illusion. Even Einstein called it an illusion. He said, Time is a is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. And it is indeed a persistent one. <laughs> Time and space are illusions, both of them. And so when you connect in this moment and you connect to the joy and you open up and you trust fully and you let go of your ideas of how to do anything in this life other than respond fully in this moment, the flow of synchronicity opens up. Suddenly things happen in a good way. Dis suddenly confusion and you know, anxiety disappear because you'll be connecting. You'll be opening. You'll be connecting with people or with the tree or with nature or the moon or the stars, whatever it happens to be. But you'll be connecting and you will feel yourself connected to the web of life which is immanent in all things. And what you do to one part of the web, as great Chief Seattle once said, is felt in the other part of the web inexorably it, it just has it happens and once you realize that you are part of a unified field of consciousness then you could no sooner harm any part of that web or that unified field than you would harm yourself because it is yourself and so then there's no need for rule books there's no need for concepts about how we should live together there's no need other than the practical ones of how we organize life education transport food, medicine, those things are organizational things. And AI can take good care of them. So yes. that's a good way to AI. And then humans will be liberated. 
to their true cause, which is self-actualization, which mm. is to realize oneself. Braham Amsi, I am that, I am it. That's what the great enlightened ones would say, Braham Amsi, because I am it. It is I. There's no separation. Mm. And, of course, until one has this really deep grokking, it is just an intellectual idea. Yeah. But I would challenge anyone. In fact, I would invite anyone to at least start experimenting with innocence, with just letting go. When you see a flower, stop thinking, oh, it's pink. It's a daffodil. And start labeling and doing all this. Just see the flower. Just be with the flower. Yeah. It's not a flower. That's just a name we gave it. Yeah. It's whatever it is. Yeah. And it is there in its wholeness, its beauty, its richness. But sadly, we in the West walk around looking at um looking at labels. Yeah. We just see labels. There's a tree, there's a plane, there's a you know, there's a person, there's and we're constantly living in a world of concepts. We are not living in the true world. There is a veil and we don't know it. It's yeah. like Plato, the people in Plato's cave. Do you know the allegory of Plato's cave? Of course. And well, I mean, you know, that's what we're living in. We're looking at shadows. We're yeah. looking at shadows. And meanwhile, I remember Osho, my my master, my teacher, he said, look, he said, my, my work is really strange. He said, you know, basically I'm here to tell you about something that you don't know about. And it's like these people in a house that think that's all that, that there is, is the house. And you keep kind of persuading people, no, but there's a world out there. There's trees. There's beauty. There's sunshine. Nah, nah, bullshit. That's all myth. We've heard about that before. It's a fairy tale. It's not true. So then what does he do? He can't persuade them. He goes, everybody, the house is on fire. Get the fuck out of here because you're going to burn down. So everybody jumps out of the house, goes, holy shit, there's a world out here. Look at this. How <laughs> wonderful. And that's the job of a master. Yeah. He has to somehow cajole, trick, seduce, however it takes, whatever the device is to, to wake you up, to jolt you into that sudden recognition of what you've been all along, what you are right now, this instant, which is just covered up by our concepts and thoughts and ideas and our conditioning. <laughs> so it's finding simple ways out of that. It seems like such a difficult thing to do once you're in the trap. But it's so simple to get out because you just got to reconnect to innocence, mm -hmm. nature, sitting quietly, you know, coming back, calming the body, mind, spirit, allowing spirit to take precedence, saying, not my will, but divine will be done. Today, I will follow what uh, I know that my deepest feelings, my, my uh, desire to follow my bliss is going to be the way that, if you like to use this term, God speaks to me. God speaks to me by, by by allowing me to have bliss and keep following that. That's not to say that the bliss following the bliss won't bring huge challenges and you know huge experiences that are not always so blissful. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you're following your true path of just being present and more and more and coming back to the moment and just opening your heart and moving all of this stuff down here, still we're going to use this. But it's going to be the servant of spirit instead of being yeah. instead of being the petty petty tyrant in charge. And if you look at the newspapers or the television, what do you see? It's just a, an insane mind running amok. Yeah. And what and that's what the shamans were saying. The West is the West's problem. The West dilemma is that they've lost touch with spirit. And so to reconnect with spirit is a very simple thing. And, you know, many people put it different ways. Some people who are reborn, again, Christians say, you've got to accept Christ into your life. Well, that's their way of understanding it. It's not literally that, but it's good. The Christians have their way of explaining it. Bring Christ into your life. That literally just means bring the heart 
open the heart, you know, allow yourself to become innocent as children, as Jesus talked about. I'm not particularly a Christian, but, the, you know, in whatever uh, religious modality you wish to offer, there's always a way. There's always, they all offer the same antidotes. And that is coming back to self, coming back to presence. And that time is an illusion. It always was. It always will be a useful one, because if we want to connect and do things and agree upon things, it's a useful artifice. Yeah, we only, have not- a, we only have a bloody hour today because I've got, a <laughs> and, 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 you know, and like, ultimately, this is an infinite, in, infinite conversation. It's like beautiful and enriching. But, you know, the concept of time has to play with us. And then I'm like, oh, we don't have so much time today. <laughs> you know? we, play, we play the game. Right, we play the game. We do. We play the game, and so we should. But remembering, yes, what's really happening, what's really uh, in in charge. Yeah, and that when I say spirit, I don't mean it's separate from me. Oh, there's somebody else. I'm giving my power away to somebody else. Not at all. I am that. Yeah, I'm just changing my identity. I'm shifting my identity. Saying I'm Darpan, this body mind. I'm saying I am the fifth fifth dimensional unified field. That's what I am. Yeah. When Jesus once said. I am the way, the light, and the truth. He wasn't big noting himself. He wasn't just egoing, going, oh, I'm, I'm the light. The way. He was identifying himself with the fifth dimensional uh, energy, with the unified field, with God, if you like, in the in Father in heaven, yeah. with uh, spirit, however you want to call it. That's what he was doing. He's identifying himself as something much larger than this little body mind. Yeah. And that this little body mind is a vehicle. As when you identify with that as your true source, then this vehicle becomes a conduit yes. uh, for that force to come through. But while you still see that God is separate from you, that and then it's God. Oh, yeah, I could say, yeah, giving your power away from God. Who are you praying to? Please help me get more money. Please help me to. You know, this is just this is very childlike. Yeah. And what's being asked for here is for us to throw away our dollies and to grow up. Simply yeah. grow up. Take responsibility for who you are. It's a very simple message. And that's what I call the wisdom of insecurity because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. And you trust. It's all about trust. It's all about, but that's when you can't use knowledge. You have your mind, but once spirit gives you the intention or the direction, then you use your mind. You say, okay, mind, we've got a project for you because mind loves projects. We're going to be doing this, 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 and this, and we're going to create this, and we're going to create something else which is in alignment with spirit, spirit's wish. And then the mind will go, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do that, let's go, because the mind loves that. But if you don't give mind projects and establish spirit, then the mind will take that, take the controls and take the wheel uh, out of fear of losing itself, out of fear of an, being annihilated. It will take control and establish dominion, and that is where the, where the yeah, that's problems where, begin. That's where we get that. That's where that's the distortions start happen. coming in and then what we spoke about earlier. Okay, beautiful. So I, I have to think of reconnecting. Yeah, go on. Reconnecting and reclaim. Yeah, it's a simple repositioning of consciousness. Yeah, repositioning of consciousness, a reconnecting and reclaiming. I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of like end us off today with saying that, you know, for those of you listening out there, you know, Darpan created two beautiful transmissions. The reason why I'm bringing this in now, just because we have a power hour with Darpan today, but you know, one of them being called metamorphosis, which I will continue to share um, as long as I'm rolling around. And another one called a new vision. The new vision maybe doesn't get as much airplay as, as a metamorphosis. People are kind of like really loving that one. But there's so many gems of nuggets in those transmissions. And one being that, you know, we will the, the world that we're moving into from this 
point of uh, uh, awareness and consciousness that DARPAN's sharing and has been for 30 years and many others are, are pointing to, when we start to play into that point of awareness and consciousness and seeing ourselves as this greater uh, spirit, everything that DARPAN's uh, expressed today, and instantly the world that we know it is is going to be unrecognizable by you know most uh, today right and i just i just want to bring that in because what you're really pointing to and i think your world is already like that darpan i know mine is is definitely transitioned more into that now and many others that we have in our field is that once that point of awareness changes you don't see the world as it was before it's not in that frequency so we have shifted and i'm going to just bring in this we're going to talk more about this on our next uh on our next podcast, but you said at the beginning before we recorded today, you said, you know, you're going to move into talking more about reclaiming vision um, to manifest the new paradigm. And um, I think Darpan, literally you have like a minute just to wrap us up on that, on like, on, on, on what that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just that piece that I spoke to you know that we are moving into all of this stuff. You said on one of our podcasts before, which I love now. And I, I took was, um, forget um, another day in paradise, but it's another day in paradox. So a lot of what DARPA is pointing to, as he said, Osho and many others done, we're, we're, we're through using the mind and words to dissect the, the constructs that we have been so we can fall into this place of of uh, synchronicity and um, and flow and love and connection. So yeah, just just to finish us off, Darpa, yeah. thank you for the power yeah. hour. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Simon. And yes, that's beautiful. Actually, you just wrapped it up yourself. And just in essence, what you're saying there is that once you change perception, once you change the way you perceive the world, the world has no option but to present itself in the way that you're perceiving it. So we have the power. Let's bring it back to that quantum field. So that rather than waiting for the world to change and rather than creating our best version of ourselves, firstly, just accept yourself deeply with love, warts and all, inconsistencies, whatever it is, love yourself, no matter what. And from that place, start to reposition consciousness from this little self-encapsulated, skin-encapsulated ego entity which is a very limited form on this 3D space-time and can't really make huge changes, but just open up to spirit, open up to carrying, the, being a conduit, a willing conduit to anchor these higher dimensional frequencies in this 3D space-time reality, to be a willing vessel for these fifth dimensional energies of love, unconditional love, purity, connectedness, your whole being whole, being complete, and, and it's, it's, it's our natural birthright. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means you have to come from that place, allow that frequency to act through you, and then take it from there. And the, once you change your perception, the world has no option but to change in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's changed for you and it's changed for me, but it looks differently to other people. But it's the same thing out there, but they're perceiving it differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's well within our power. This is an empowering act. As far from being disempowered when you're in the skin encapsulated ego at the behest of external forces over which you have no control, rather than that, you put the power where it's always been, here, right here in the heart, and, and embody that and hold that in just your own simple, beautiful ways. It doesn't have to be an earth-shakingly ways that affects the whole planet. This is a way of change that's moving in grassroots from person to person, and people get it. 
they catch a fire, they get, ex- they feel the enthusiasm. You know, one spark can start a many, many spark can start a bushfire. And this is how it's happening. And this is what we're not hearing on the news. And this is exactly what's happening all over the planet today. Yes, the percentages are still small, but it's opening and critical mass is just around the corner. Mm. And then it'll go off. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, brother. I'm so, so always so uh enjoy our, our our conversations and i hope that the listeners do as well yeah they they, they really do and i do and i know um everyone can see i don't know if you saw me from the beginning to now but you would see my face has softened uh, i've been grinning most of the time giving darpan some flicks of my fingers because um yeah I, I really like i know that listeners uh, you're with me on this but for me i get totally um filled up as I said at the beginning, anchored in. So, brother, I love you. I appreciate you. This has been our, this is probably been our little power hour. The first, the, probably the shortest of one of our conversations. But I will, as I said at the beginning, there will be uh, some more coming in the coming months. And um, yeah, just just thank you, Darpan, and thank you for continually just you know, going on this journey yourself and uh, and being an opportunity to just you know bring us bring me especially back to that point and. Uh, uh, the point of I like what you said today. We did we didn't say it so much last time, but this point of innocence is such a there's such an expansion in that. So thank you so much, brother. Deep deep appreciation. Blessings, brother. The feeling is entirely mutual, and it goes both ways. Thank you so much, and thank you to all the listeners for being here. Yeah, and please do tune in. The links are always under the podcast. Please go over to darpan.com. The links are under here. There's lots of things happening that he does in the community where he's at and also online. There's beautiful videos on YouTube. And also, if you're feeling inspired and you're loving this podcast, then please check out either the videos on the YouTube channel. And if you want to support me on Patreon, please do. Any small contribution will support all the running and what it takes to to bring these conversations to your ears and your hearts. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Lots of love. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening to another episode of Simon Transparently. This podcast is a call to action, a call into sovereignty, a call to speak our truth and love ourselves fiercely, and for us all to rise up together as love. If you are resonating with my offerings, you can support me by becoming a patron, for which I would be deeply grateful. And you can access more of my content at simontransparently.com. This is our time to rise.